police brutality matters, I am 1000% a black girl. Like, I, I don't care who's mama, daddy, uncle, sister. I'm a black woman before I'm anything else. And I don't take sides. I, I, for me to put pride in a career over pride in my living and in my humanity and in my being, mm. you know, I, I'm going to put, I'm going to lean more towards the thing that has a heartbeat, right? Not a, not a, a career. Careers come and go. Like, Welcome to Facts, the podcast that brings you authentic stories and live experience from unique individuals. I'm your host, Kev, and I would like to thank you all for tuning in. Helping me with today's episode is none other than Maya Bass, who is a licensed master social worker hailing from Southside, Jamaica, Queens. With a strong background in education and performing arts, Maya has spent the last 12 years giving back to the community, devotedly through programming, community outreach. She currently works at CUNY, your college, running the Fatherhood Initiative Program which supports students who balance the life of parenting and academia. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation about music, community outreach, and mental health. First and foremost, thank you for being here, Maya. Thank you for, for blessing me with your presence. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm very <laughs> honored to be, you know, in the presence of Mr. Kevin. Like, what? <laughs> hey, oh, facts, man. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> How are you feeling today? What's going on? What's on your mind? I'm feeling great. I'm just enjoying the sun. You know, it's been a long week, a long year, a long season. Come on, somebody. Yeah. So anytime it's sunny, I just embrace the day, you know, just got to embrace, embrace today, you know? Yeah. And I feel you. Yeah. I love this weather, but for me, the allergy season is kicking me right now. Like my eyes is oh. like real small right now, irritated. So I'm trying oh to. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I just get real I'm bad. Sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to throw that in there. <laughs> no, I feel like, dang, like, I should have mentioned the nice sunny weather. You over here struggling. Can you breathe? You no, right? I'm good. I'm good. I can breathe. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. So, um, I know, you know, we, we, we knew each other for, for quite some time now. And one of the things that I never really had the chance to speak to you was your, your um, passion for music, right? So, where did you mm. get your, your sense of love for music? Um, 100% from my mom. Uh, she was the Joe Jackson of our family. You know, she put me, myself and my siblings into tons of, you know, auditions and we did commercials and even as, you know, local as the, the church choir. Um, so yeah, my mom has a really big passion for the arts. And so I kind of grew up in music. Mm, that's beautiful. And are you still close with your mom to this day? Um, I, I am close to my mom, and now that I'm an adult, I don't, <laughs> I don't you know, rely on her to, you know, mom me to take to auditions. I go to my own, on my own. But um, in terms of the music relationship, she's probably my number one supporter. Mm -hmm. So if I do land a show or a gig or whatever, um, she's right there, right by my side. 
So, yeah, we definitely still have that type of uh, relationship. Okay, that's beautiful. And I know this next question is going to be broad, but who are you as an artist? Um, <laughs> as, as an artist, I don't know. I, I'm just, I, I don't see a separation. You know, you have some artists who are one person on the stage and a different person behind the scenes. Like, I'm just literally the same. So I guess my the artist is just my the person. I am, you know, a black girl from Queens. I'm a Christian. Um, I have anointing. I have talent. And I love my family. I love my sugars and my sweets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I and I love love, period, you know? Yeah. Well that's 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 definitely like uh I mess with that. I I fuck with that. <laughs> yeah, for real. Oh, it's, man. It's, I mean, I'm and and not, I'm not saying that it's you know good or bad to be the same or be different. Like some people need to separate it, you know, mm-hmm. for their own mental state because you don't want to be always on. But for me personally, it's easier to be consistent. Just mm-hmm. one person, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not it's not really exhausting, you know. You, you, right? Yeah, I got you. Okay, that makes sense. And how did it feel to bet on yourself when you decided to audition for The Voice? Like that's major. That is crazy. <laughs> I still can't believe he's on The Voice. And <laughs> to be real with you, me and Wifey, we actually are watching like the, the, the most recent season. And I've been watching mm. it since, um, I think last year, for some reason. I don't know. I just went on Hulu one of these days. And I was like, let me watch something different. And I just, thought, you know, I got, I just got hooked. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you and Wifey are uh, <laughs> hooked on The Voice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we, we can't sing for nothing. So, so... <laughs> Oh man. I'm dead. I mean, to answer your question, um, I, it felt good, you know, to to audition. It's, it takes a lot of courage yeah. to um, expose yourself in such a vulnerable, vulnerable way to strangers. So I'm very proud of myself um, for taking that step and just letting it all go and just being, you know, vulnerable. And you know, you, ah, I'm just. I guess the answer is pride. Like I'm, I'm very proud. Um, of believing in myself, you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, I definitely um, salute you for that because being on a big stage, I, I think now it's easier because the pandemic, so they don't really have that audience base. Mm, but when you went, yeah. you had a live audience and had yeah. all those eyes on you. What? Like, oh man, that, that's just what? giving me chills right now. <laughs> yeah, like, that's I crazy. Mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. So these last couple of seasons due to the pandemic, there's not, there aren't any people in the audience. So um, because I've been performing again, mama was Joe Jackson. Mm. I've been on a large stage with hundreds and thousands of people in the audience my whole life. So that is something, thank God that I'm used to. However, that particular moment was so big that, you know, of course my heart was racing because, um, of, of course, one, all the eyes are on you. And then the eyes of the camera, meaning the world is watching you. So not only do you have the physical audience, but, you know, the show is um, it's televised nationally and internationally in Australia and Africa and things of that nature. So I'm like, okay, there's even more eyes on me. And because of the way that the show is designed, you know, the, your very first episode, if you don't, you know, get a coach, if someone doesn't tap that button, mm. you leave the show. So there's different elements of nerves. It's like, one, all these eyes are on me. Two, if I don't make this, I don't get to stay on the show. Mm. So 
but anyway, back back to what your original question was. Like, you know, it it takes a lot of courage, and I'm very proud of myself and and my other fellow contestants that were there. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of courage to um to do that. Like, it's nerve wracking, yeah. and it takes a lot to takes a lot of physical constraint to you know breathe and take a deep breath and close mm. your eyes. Like, it's 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 a lot involved. So, I'm it's a very proud moment for me. Yeah, and that's beautiful and. I know right now they have different judges, but the time that you went, what judge picked you? For the first time, I had Adam Levine as um, as a coach. Okay. Yeah, and then as the season went on, I was, quote, unquote, stolen by Alicia Keys. Oh, how was that? So those were my two coaches. <laughs> huh? How was that with Alicia? Oh, my God. It was awesome. <laughs> she was definitely, like, such a, such a, I, used to, I was calling her sunshine because she was just very, like, she's so, like, bright. Mm. Always smiling and just um, just a beautiful soul. So, and who doesn't want to be selected by a police <laughs> Like, I don't care Word. if you just poke me on the store and keep like poke me on the shoulder. Like, anybody wants to be selected by someone as beautiful as she is. Yeah, like, that's a fact. man. Oh man. Oh, um, I definitely do believe like those experiences that you you was able to overcome and go through led you to the to the position and also the person that you are today, right? And, you know, we also mentioned that you are a social worker, right? So what mm-hmm. is it like for you to become a social worker and ultimately be in a field that you could give back to others? And is music the same way? Um, yeah, absolutely. So I mean it's so crazy because um as soon as I got back from LA, um, after that season was over, it was kinda like what's next? And it was such a smooth transition because as soon as I got back from L.A., I got accepted into the MSW program. So it was almost like it was almost kind of organic. Right. So uh, the idea of going from performing arts and kind of inspiring the world musically and then going back home to inspiring my community uh, via, you know, socially or whatever, um, it's it's different but it's also it feels similar right because at the end of the day i'm giving up my heart i'm giving up my time and i'm giving up my passion mm-hmm. so it's two different fields um fields i should say but the the feeling and the passions feel very similar you know i think everyone has a quote-unquote audience right so for if you're a doctor you know, your audience are your, your clients and your patients. If you're a social worker, your, your audience is your community or whatever the case may be. So we always have this opportunity to give back and pour back and to contribute into people's lives. Um, and as a singer, uh, I've been doing that for years. And now as a social worker, um, I'm just, you know, I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> continuing <laughs> to, um, you know, put myself in a position where I can give back and be, you know, have my official credentials behind it. Cause you, I've been giving back for quite some time, yeah. but now to, you know, have those letters after your name is kind of like stamped, like, Oh, I'm really, really giving back. <laughs> yeah. Cause also being an artist is, it's not um, easy. Like you have no. to, you know, hustle to get a gig. You have to throw yourself out there. You have to be vulnerable too. Right. You have to yeah. be real. And sometimes all those things could be really hard when you have eyes, you know, people looking at you or people saying, oh, you this and that. And even sometimes family it might come from family, too. You know, uh, family mm-hmm. not really supporting you the way they should. 
So I think being an yeah. artist is really difficult, especially now. Yeah. You know? So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So I know you answered part of this question. How are you able to bring your artistic personality and flavors to the professional social work? Oh man, it's it's kind of easy um, because my in my first no no in my second no no in my first and second year I should say I began my social work practice with young adults and teens, right? So when you're dealing with that population. It, I think it's easier to connect with young people and the youth in general if you have a certain personality, right? And you know, no shade to my to my seasoned uh, <laughs> to my seasoned folks out there, but the youth like to gravitate to other youth, right? So if they mm-hmm. see a young lady like myself, and oh, she's a performer, or maybe, and even. Physically, I, I may look eccentric because I, you know, I like to color my hair or whatever the case may be. And I have tattoos, you know, so to utilize my eccentricity, my personality in, into this field, it, transi- it transitions very well because, um, you know, how people say you're a child whisperer or oh, I'm a dog whisperer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like that, like the clients easily gravitate towards me because. Um, they probably feel like they can relate because most young people love music. They love entertainment. They love the art. And once you get someone, like a client or whatever, to, you know how it is, Ken, you got to build the rapport. That's one of the first steps in, yeah. in social work practice, right? Building the rapport sets the stage for you to build that client and helper relationship. So if the rapport is the easiest, Step for me because people are like, oh, like I feel like I can relate to her. Then it makes our helping relationship easier, and then we can boom get to the practice and, and, and get to, you know, that therapeutic relationship and get to the work. So it's I know it's I know I may sound like I'm all over the place, but it it truly connects um in a very very interesting way. Yeah, no, nah, and, and I don't think you go over the place. I think you said everything on the way it has to be said, and. You know, what what you said made me think about that time where, you know, because we both went to your college, I think one yeah. year um, we had, what was it? We had opportunity to go to the NSW conference and there mm-hmm. I went with Dr. Rogers. I think it was, um, you know, a few of my colleagues, you know, Ayana Print, I, forgot, I think it was somebody else. And mm-hmm. we went there and I remember, I don't know, I just didn't know what to expect. But when I went to the conference, it was so many white social workers. It was like a handful mm. of like people who look like me, like us. And mm. I'm just like, wow, like the field is not really as diverse as I thought it will be. Wow. Because, you know, your college kind of put us in a little bubble where we, right. you know, we everybody there is really diverse. You may see some Indians, Asian, uh-huh. but, but when Hispanic. you start exactly once you step out it's like a different world so it's just, and also certain mm. fields and departments is more catered to you know black social workers or whatever the case may be so i think the part that you mentioned about bringing your uniqueness and all those things is beautiful because being in a field that needs those qualities from a, a person especially like you you know yeah. and i think you know as a as, as a it brings more value to the to the profession because you know at the end of the day you know um clients is going to 
you know, need assistance and they're not going to really ask for assistance and they will have people who they can relate to on some levels, not all levels, right? So mm-hmm. what you said was well said. So thank you for definitely for sharing that. No, no problem. <laughs> and I love what you said too. Like, I mean, I didn't even, that didn't even occur to me in, in, in terms of the question you asked in terms of like how I can, you know, relate or how, how, how do the two tie in together, right? The performing arts life and the social work life. Um, but at the end of the day, I, yes, I'm an artist, but I'm a black artist, mm-hmm. right? And that ties into the social work life, oh my God, tremendously. Um, because like you said, you know, if, if, if my community, if the African-American community is in need of support, you know, are they going to gravitate towards people who look like me or are they going to gravitate to people who look like oppressors? <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, yeah, facts. Like, I'm, you know, so I, 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 I'm, I'm glad that I'm black um, and in this field. And yeah, they the, the two definitely tie in together. Yeah. That's a good point that you bring up. Yeah, and it, it, it stems from you. You know, I'm, I'm going based on your energy. You, you, you bring in good energy and I got to give you um, good energy back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. No problem. And I think, matter of fact, I don't think, I know that you inspire a lot of people, right? And you're doing a lot of great work, especially now at your current um, job. Can you tell me more about the fatherhood program, what it's like working sure. there, and how it changed your perspective in regards to black fathers? Okay. So um, working there has been a blessing. Um, my supervisor and boss, Dr. Jonathan Kwa. Shout out to him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> shout out to him. I was actually working for him during the MSW program. And, and uh, when I graduated, I was technically, my contract ended. But he was gracious enough to keep me on board after graduation, which was a blessing to be employed during a pandemic, right? So that was the first blessing. And then the second blessing was him specifically changing my um, title and, and, and now giving me this fatherhood initiative program to run, um, which was awesome and interesting because, you know, I'm not a father. And I didn't have the great relationship with my father. So I, I took it on as like an interesting challenge, an, an educational opportunity. And I have learned, to answer your question, I've learned so much about Black fathers. program is designed to provide resources and support to fathers, or to students who are fathers. That is the, uh, basically the, the, the foundation of the program. However, when Quas handed all off this program to me, which was previously run by other people, that's when the pandemic started. So I was the very first person to run this program during the pandemic. So now instead of having events in classrooms, I'm having them on Zoom. Instead of um, just, you know, uh, conveniently grabbing students from the cafeteria or, you know, the, 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 the performing arts building or, or PE building, I have to scout them electronically online and kind of you know, like, you know, kind of stalk people like, hey, can you participate? So it was a bit of a challenge for me to not only become acquainted with this program, but to, to move along and roll with the punches as it, as it evolves virtually. And through that process, I met some amazing fathers. I met some amazing father figures and I learned so much about struggles within fatherhood because, you know, where I come from, people are so quick to talk about fathers. 
and the term deadbeat dad and this deadbeat this that and, and broke this whatever. So from my experience and, and, and searching and seeking out fathers to be a part of the program, I've, I've met quite a few of the opposite of that, like single fathers who have sole custody, right? Fathers who are not the abusers, but fathers who are being abused by the, the baby's mother or by her family or that, whatever the case may be. So to see that 180 flip was extremely um, impactful for me, um, impactful for the viewers and, and the other participants, and an eye-opener. And at the end of the day, I'm just grateful to have the opportunity and the platform to expose that so that we can do a little bit less, you know, bashing of men and bashing of fathers and be a little bit more appreciative of the great ones out there because we don't even know the great ones that are out there if we keep mentioning the bad ones, right? So that's how the program has been for me. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's dope. And I think um, ultimately what you are basically doing is changing the narrative of how society view black fathers. Right. And I think mm-hmm. also it's more, to me in my eyes, it's more empowering because it's coming from a black woman, right? Rather than mm-hmm. the guy saying all these positive things by black fathers, right? Oh, no, he just saying that because it makes him look, you know, look good. But people can't right. really say that about you, you know? So I think you are in, mm-hmm. in the right position to, to kind of like have that platform. And also... You know, being that right now, you have to kind of use media. I think you are like the perfect perfect person to do that, just because of your mm-hmm. following. The the uh, like like I said, you inspire people, so people's going to listen to what you have to say. And then mm-hmm. you also you know how to navigate, right? And also you're going to reach a, you know, um, even though things change, and you know you probably do miss grabbing students. You know that that physical right? Yeah, you yeah, could, yeah. <laughs> but right now you Remember can reach club hour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it was twelve to two or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> on so a Tuesday, Tuesday or Thursday, Thursday. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but I think right now you could reach a larger audience, like mm-hmm. individuals that you couldn't have reached before, because you, know, right. you know, at that time you one person, it's, it's, you can't really grab that much students, and you know, it's easy mm. for people to be like, uh, I don't got time for this. But online, they have time for it. People's stuck to their right. phones, you know. So I mm-hmm. think it's more accessible now, and I think it's beautiful. So I think you're gonna do a good job, not for not a good job, a great job, an amazing job. So keep doing what you're doing. And um, I'm really proud of you, honestly. I haven't told you that before, but I want to say it now where everybody can hear it. I'm I'm super (laughs) proud of you. (laughs) Thank you. I'm proud of you. Oh, man, stop it. (laughs) Oh, you have done so much. And I I, I first met you in Quasha's office or maybe um, through the uh, the program where you guys are doing the, the masculinity toxic masculinity event yeah. and I think you and Prince were uh, le- leading that and facilitating that and I was like oh these guys are so popping and didn't you graduate from NYU? Yeah me, me and Prince well, actually graduated on. yeah <laughs> come on now first yeah. of all listen that is that is a school come on and put that on your resume ASAP honey before you even graduated he probably like let me update my resume oh, come on dang. NYU <laughs> you're hilarious make me want to go to Jamaica Avenue and just buy a purple hoodie and just pretend I graduated from there honey okay oh, get a black marker no, like I love, NYU yeah. in the front I love, I love Queens though Um, I was there pretty much throughout the pandemic cause you know wifey her father actually lived out there in Springfield 
So, you know, like by Springfield High School, like two blocks away. Oh, yes. Yes, you, yes. Yeah, yeah. I remember so, you told me that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've been over there like during the whole pandemic. You know, I think there's oh. a park right nearby too. I'll jog over there. It's a nice area. So I'm, I'm yeah. from Brooklyn, but I love Queens too. Queens? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But let me get yeah. back to the, the question. I don't want to go on track. I'm sorry. Oh, now you good. You good. You good. <laughs> So, um, you know, you definitely shared a lot about the um, fatherhood program and like your role and all those positive things. What are some events that you're working on and or, you know, that you're involved in now? I know the one the most recent one was the hamburger one. Yeah. Yeah. I saw part of it and I think it was, it was dope. It was cool. How you how you set that up? Thank you. So basically, um, this semester, uh, we started out with, I did father figure. Wait, I think, no, 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 no. This semester, we started out with um, just the conversations of uh, leadership. And I think I did interview with Quash and another um, young man who has his own fatherhood program. And then I did um, an event called Father Figures. That event was special to me because I had invited two personal father figures that I know of. And these two men who are now in their 50s spent their entire lives raising kids that were not their biological own. And again, going back to the conversation of fathers who don't get credit, like we're talking about biological fathers, but what about the men who spend money and their emotions and their time and, and everything on children who they, that, that they don't even belong to, right? So I had to do that event and I invited students at that event to give their uh, perspective and their feedback regarding, you know, the impact on their lives. Um, and then after that, that's when I did the burger battle, um, which was, what, that event was special to me because that was my first quote unquote fun event or like less serious because it was a cooking competition, which is yeah. really, really like cute. Um, but the premise of that event was to talk about domestic dads, right? Dads who cook at home, again, single fathers, who cook at home, or even married fathers who, you know, have working wives. Like, you know, can you do your daughter's hair? Do you guys do laundry? Do you, you know, cook for your kids? You, do you help them clean? You know, so, because the, 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 the domesticity often falls on the woman. But again, we got to shine the light on the dads that are out here, you know what I'm saying? Like, busting out the PBJ for their babies and the grilled yeah. cheese, like, well, you know sad. what I'm saying? Like, dads mm-hmm. be out here doing it. So, the burger battle was really fun but the importance and the message was domestic dads and before the semester ends which should be in like one more month my my final event um and it's still in the works uh, but I, I i think i'm gonna solidify it pretty soon i'm going to actually highlight fathers in music and the music industry and now you're talking about you mentioned before kevin me you know you utilize my platform and people i know Ooh. Mm-hmm. I'm trying, I'm trying to reach out to folks like, hey, can, can I ain't got much of a budget, mm-hmm. but can you just give me a few moments of your time? I'm trying to, you know, grab some really, some really important individuals in, in music and highlight their fatherhoods. And, and hope, hopefully if I, if I can get, you know, people are, are busy and, and occupied. And so hopefully um, I can land that because that is another conversation you know, um, rappers and singers and musicians who are on tour or always creating music, you know, what does fatherhood look like for you 
um, uh, you know, and what, what, how has your gift impacted your, you know, your family and, and things of that nature. So that's probably going to be the last uh, event for the semester. Okay. That's dope. And um, what I wanted to add on was that, you know, even though right now the pandemic is getting better, we start in a pandemic and I know that that changed the family dynamics a lot. In regards mm. to parenting, so I know that it could be either a, you know, fathers will spend more time with their children, or it could be the complete yeah. opposite. So I think having something like what you're doing right now is very important now because people need that outlet to to get a you know a fresh look on things and to to you know motivate themselves and also to be yeah. in tune with with their feelings and how they view themselves too. You know, so I think Absolutely. doing you not know, having a balance having. No serious discussion, also a little, you know, fun on the side is a good balance to have, you know, because everybody right. learns differently, right? So you may have one Absolutely. viewer who who really resonated with the the serious session that you have, but you have another one who was more on like, you no, know, on the not serious note and really right. enjoyed the. So that I think what you're doing is cool, and then it sounds like you're gonna have something else real major coming up. So I can't wait to see that in person, man. Like that's Aww, gonna be beautiful. Thank yeah, you. now you good? Thank <laughs> I'm, you. Try, I'm trying to give you your flowers. I'm trying to give you your flowers. Oh, thank you, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, so I think Back. the yeah, <laughs> I think the work that you're doing is great, right? And it's great also uh, for like many levels, right? And then um, mm-hmm. it's especially great now because of the recent things that happen around the world, right? And yeah. the one that's on my mind is um, George Floyd, right? And we, mm. we both know, you know, what happened, how the story goes, right? How does it feel? like when you first heard about it? Like, how did it make you feel? What was on your mind? Oh, man. So I've been following the trial as much as I could. I like to to follow all the trials um, of these major events because I particularly need that detail. Um, This trial was really hard for me to follow. I I had to, like, take breaks because, you know, they kept running back that video over and over and over and over. And I'm just like, all right. Um, it, it, it was a lot. It's a lot to just keep watching someone's death, you know, live in action. Um, so just the whole, uh, when it comes to the verdict, you know, it was a relief. Um, it was a relief that there was some type of accountability. So not only watching the trial for the last couple of weeks, but also watching the, the, the roar and the cry of the nation, you know, so a whole entire year, right? Because that was May 25th, 2020. And we're coming up on, you know, a year. So it took a year for us to get that verdict. So, you know, me personally, it was like a relief that there is some level of accountability and to add a cherry on top of the cake, you know, no bail. You know what I'm saying? Um, that that means a lot. You know what I mean? Um, but as, you know, as my, uh, one of my pastors has said, you know, it's easy to to confuse accountability with justice. So even though there was accountability, there's still no justice because justice would mean either we bring George Floyd back to life magically or, you know, Derek Chauvin loses his life, which is not something that we want necessarily. Well, I'll say I don't want it. I know some people might want that, but that's, so there's no justice, right? But we will accept the small wins and say, you know what, there is a level of accountability that's finally happening. And that makes me feel a little better, just a little bit, but 
it makes me feel a little better. Yeah, and that's how I felt. I felt too about like Karen, um, the sentence and him being in charge. Like I felt like, yeah, it, to me, it's not enough, right? I need to see systemic change. I need a policy yeah. to be in place where you know it it, it prevents this from happening, right? Because I think during the same week or a few hours before the verdict. Um, somebody else got killed, right? So it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What are mm-hmm. we really doing? You know, like so. That's how I'm I'm looking at it, and you know, I, I just hope that things change, right? And I think for us, like being like social workers now is is more real for us because now we can actually have a um an impact on Absolutely. policy change where before we wasn't really, you know, we didn't have the the uh, what's it called credentials. So now I think for us, mm-hmm. it's more. It's more serious now because we now we have the ability to do something, whereas we couldn't before. Mm-hmm. So mm, there's a lot of opportunity for us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and many may not know this, but you are um, raising a law enforcement family. So how yeah. did that kind of like change your perspective? Like, do you feel like do you understand both sides? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's, yeah. So I, I mentioned that briefly in my backstory for anybody who watched The Voice. I did mention that I come from a family of law enforcement. My father was an officer. Um, my sister is an officer. My mother has 32 years in NYPD as a supervisor in administration. Um, and then I have an uncle that's retired, CO, and an, another cousin that's a retired NYPD detective. And I myself, used to work for NYPD. I was a police cadet um, while I was an undergrad. So when I say there is a lot of law enforcement in my family and even in my own um, employment history, it's a lot. And regarding these recent police brutality matters, I am 1,000% a black girl. Like, I, I don't care who's mama, daddy, uncle, sister, I'm a black woman before I'm anything else. And I don't take sides. For me to put pride in a career over pride in my living and in my humanity and in my being, Mm. you know, I'm going to put, I'm going to lean more towards the thing that has a heartbeat, right? Not a, not a a career. Careers come and go. Like, but the black community, like it's, it's that, that's where my heart goes. So I unapologetically choose sides. I'm not indifferent. I'm not in the middle. I'm not back and forth. I 1000% am against police brutality from white cops, black cops, Hispanic. I don't care what color you are. I 100% think that it's wrong to over police black and brown communities. I think it's 100% wrong to target people of color. And I think it's wrong to do to one community what you would never do to another in terms of pulling over this person and they're dead and then pulling over the other person who's white and you have a nice cup of coffee with them and everything sweet and smooth. So I am, again, unapologetically choosing sides of, you know, the, 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 of my of my people that i mean that, that that's an easy question for me yeah. <laughs> it's, think- i'm only laughing because you know i think the, i think the um uh it's just it's just ironic you know what i'm saying and i think that most people who are in law enforcement they'll probably assume 
that, you know, some people back and forth. And I don't know, like, for me, it's easy. It's facile. Yeah. <laughs> I, for me, you're the first person who actually put it in those words. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you just said it. You, know, you, you just gave me the real. And I feel like sometimes people, they lean towards their career a lot. Um, no. You know, they, they, they focus on how it will make, you know, their supervisor, whoever look, right, rather than really being a little bit more moral about it, like having more of a moral compass. And I yeah. think for you, you just kind of like straight out to say like, nah, like, bro, like, bro. No. So I, 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 I mean, it's death. Yeah. It's death. It's not, oh, they abuse us or they beat us up or they lock us up too much, which those are also true. But it's the taking of lies and the the disproportionate numbers. Like, it's, it's I, I, I don't know if people don't take death seriously, but it's like, if lives are ending for preventable reasons or for, or for like minute reasons, like a traffic stop and it's happening over and over and over, like there, I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how pretty your uniform looks when for me, death is serious. Mm -hmm. So that is more than enough for me to choose a side. Who is the murderer? Okay. I'm going to be on the opposite side of Mm -hmm. that. You know, and there's a conversation of the good apples and the bad apples. No, the tree is rotten. Mm -hmm. So even if you are the good apple, you are, you will, you will eventually fall off or become rotten because that's how plant works. I'm I'm not a scientist. I'm not an environmental scientist, but I do know how fungus and weeds work. Right. So when the bat comes, the presence of the bat spreads. Mm -hmm. It spreads in the grass, it spreads in the trees. So the good will eventually be prevented. Never have I ever in all my life seen a good fruit turn a bad fruit to be a good one. You mm-hmm. get what I'm saying? Yeah. If a plant is dying, all of the leaves are eventually going to die. Yep. There's no good leaves on the tree that's going to eventually make the others unwithered. Mm-hmm. And please, for all the facts listeners, if you guys are environmental researchers or whatever, and y'all want to correct me, please please feel free. But according to my common sense, that's not how that works. And it also applies to the real world. Real world. So if there are 85% bad apples and the other 15 are good. I mean, I would just assume that we just need to chop down the entire tree yep. because it's not going to grow. It's not going to flourish and no more good fruit will come of that tree unless we chop it down, start over and, and, and do what we need to do as planters and as, as gardeners or whatever to make sure that the entire tree is healthy for picking. Period. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that. And even like when people say like, oh, you know, that doesn't, I, I didn't experience that or the case may be. But like even, um, I think in the news recently, I saw, I don't know his name, but he was, a, I believe, a, a sergeant in the army. And mm-hmm. he was um, stopped. Oh. And, yeah. you know, he had his whole uniform on and he still got mm-hmm. treated as if he wasn't a, a state, you know what I'm saying, a state, a, a sergeant. Yeah. So it's just like, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you are in these doesn't matter. careers where, you know, you are giving back to the country or the kids. You're still going to be treated yeah. as so because it's, it's something that's is embedded into the, the minds of our oppressors. And they don't really care whether or not um, who right. you are, who you're working for. They're still going to treat you as so because that's how they view you, you know. Absolutely. So, I think that, that to me, that video, that, that, I mean, and this is not a new, this has been going on for years, but I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's good for people to see that video because 
I don't know, people think that because things are happening or, or people are saying things or, or, or more vocal that change is, you know, is happening, but it's not really happening the way it needs to be happening. There's still things happening right. from like 45 years ago, you know, so. Whew, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that, that's an excellent point because, you know, when people are, you know, bringing up the whole, the career thing, right? Like I'm a cop. And this is, I know that I'm a good apple and this is my career. I don't want to lose my pension. I got kids to feed. I have a mortgage to pay. And it's like, it's, it's, it's almost laughable because you're putting a career before injustice and, and they don't care about the career, right? Cause like you said, here we are, this man is in full uniform and his quote unquote career is standing out cause he has this big green army fatigue outfit. And the quote-unquote career is still unimportant. So it's like, if it's not important to them, then why should it be important to you? And last I checked, I mean, I, I know a lot of people that get paid more than police officers, so I'm, it can't be just the money. Like, yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not, I'm not encouraging people to quit their jobs. I would never do that to each his own. But all I am saying is, let's stop pretending like this is a prize. I can't leave. Okay, well, let me show you other prizes because I know plenty of other careers. Um, some require education background, some require zero degrees at all, and people are making six figures. So let's not get hung up on pensions and all this stuff when you're surrounded by, you know, all these deaths and injustice. Like I just need us to stop using that excuse. Like there's there's other careers out there. Mm-hmm. Like I'm saying, you got your 401k and all that, but. You know, when it comes to life and death, you know, let's 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 not be lazy thinkers and be like, oh, well, this is it for me. That's not true. This mm. is a land of opportunity. But you're just being lazy. Yeah. And how has this strategy sparked a conversation within your circle of friends or even family? Um, I definitely have this conversation with some family, not all, because it's such a sensitive subject. Um. So there are some of my family members who are with me (laughs) and then there are some who are, you know, kind of um, in the middle. So I don't really have these conversations as much with my family. Um, I would love to, (laughs) I would love to, but anytime there is an attempt made, it doesn't, it doesn't go where it needs to. Um, Now my friends, however, you know, we got the, the, the MSW family, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> so the conversations are endless and the group chats are lit, okay? Yeah. Um, and obviously the conversations online are ongoing. So, oh man, the conversations with my friends are, we, we get really passionate about it and we get really honest and everybody doesn't always agree with one another, but it doesn't matter. We all need to have the conversation. We all need to be open-minded to be hearing. Um, we need to be um, attentive to other people's perspectives because you never know learning from someone else's you know standpoint it might kind of alter your view but to shy away from the conversation altogether is really dangerous because it leaves you in, in, in the possibility of being ignorant in areas where you where you could be educating someone else it's just I, I just find it to be really irresponsible and dangerous to not have these conversations um, because we all need to be educating each other while supporting each other at the same time. Mm, yeah, I felt that definitely. And for some reason, I just thought about when we had. Um, I don't think 
I attended to see you there, but I had went with um, you know one of our mutual friends, Prince, to the um, the protest right there on where was it? It was on was it on Merrick? On Merrick right? Yeah, on Merrick in Springfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you was there, so mm-hmm. I I just remember this like that was my first protest, by the way. And when I went mm. there, I wasn't really thinking that it was going to be organized or like I don't know, I just didn't know what to expect. But when we started mm. walking and actually you know, saying the chance and, you know, um, it is like, I just started tearing. Like it can't, I don't know. I swear to God, it came out of nowhere. Like I was literally Aww. like, why are these tears falling down? And my body felt so heavy, like wow. heavy. I'm just like, bro. Cause I feel like for me, um, I think over the years, you know, I just kind of got numb to everything and I just yeah. didn't really address it. Like, you know, we, you know, I'll, I'll speak about it. But yeah. I didn't. Re- I wasn't really in tune to my feelings and how it made me really mm. feel. So I think right. my body or my mind was just telling me, "No, like you can't do this again. You have to just let go." And I just started tearing up, and wow. it, it felt so good just just to like you know um have a release. Yeah, it felt yeah, it yeah, felt good. And I think that was around the time too. Also, um, Brandon Taylor got um killed too. So it was like after yeah. each other. So it was just like, bro. So that mm-hmm. I don't know that. It, it felt like a long walk too. Like I know mm. it wasn't that long, but it just felt so long. And yeah. I remember seeing like you know even little childrens, you know, with their fathers too. I, I remember I seeing yeah. one father having his child like on his shoulders. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and I was like, bro, this is like beautiful, you know. So um, I don't know, man. That 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 has brought me, you know, back to to the march when you was being, you know, yeah. saying those things. So. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and see, I, I want to say that I think that was my first protest of the summer as well. I think it was. It felt like it. Because um, after that, it was a wrap. I was doing the mad protest. But um, <laughs> yeah, but that <laughs> but that also plays a, a, a part in the, in the quote-unquote conversation, right? So like some people are shying away from the conversation because it's uncomfortable. But you have to put yourself in an uncomfortable position, for out of respect for those who have lost their lives. So, you know, the discomfort may be talking or the discomfort may be walking at a protest. It can look like a lot of things. Um, and many other people like you have cried at the protest because, you know, it's, it's an emotional time and it's, yeah, this is your outlet. This is your cry. This is your, your, your expressing pain that you've been holding in. Cause it's like, damn, enough is enough. Like, stop killing us. You know what I'm saying? And um, I just think that giving yourself the opportunity to let let go and, and cry and just release and have an outlet is so healthy because we always hold it inside. But how can we have that release unless we expose ourselves? You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we have to be willing to get uncomfortable and talk and protest and blah, 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 so that we can have that release because we're all feeling it. Nope. We're all feeling it. Trust me. Yeah. Um. And they even trying to take this away. They even trying to take that away from us protesting and <laughs> and mm. expressing ourselves. So it's kind of crazy yeah. how the, the world's working right now. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Um. But as a as a as a person who's a change change agent, right, and skill and mm-hmm. being in tune with other feelings, what are some coping strat- strategies that you you were able to incorporate in your personal life? For me, um, you know, my coping has a lot to do with outlet, like 
like you were just saying, like with crying, crying is a good outlet. Um, for me personally, this summer, I found myself doing a lot of journaling. Um, I just need to just get it out. Sometimes you just got to get it out. Okay, if it's via tears, via crying. Um, I did a lot of exercising um, so that, you know, exerting that energy, you know, getting it out, release, release, release. Um, other coping, um, I tried my best to, to, to maintain a social life by reaching out to my friends. You know, I was doing a weekly Zoom meeting um, for my girls. We had something called Wine and Wellness Wednesdays. We had that during the entire summer. Um, so not only was I, you know, looking out for myself, but I was also providing a space for my homies as too, homies as well, so that we can, you know, have a space um, to talk to one another and just feel like we're not, you know, going insane with no social life. Mm-hmm. So those are um, just a few of the ways that I did my coping. Oh, wow. that, I think that you called it on uh, Wine Wednesdays? Wednesdays. Wine and Wellness Wednesday. Yeah, that's dope. <laughs> I, I need to incorporate that word because I feel like sometimes mm-hmm. we get in the habit of just working and doing other things, helping people that we forget to take care of ourselves and, and yeah. have our own spaces. So that, that, mm-hmm. that's dope. Um, yeah. <laughs> as as Mental Health Awareness Month is approaching, which is next month, what are some of your thoughts on protect um, protecting your your mental health? So yeah, um, you, you did mention some. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I think that protecting my, lately I have been protecting my mental health um, by identifying what's not healthy. You know, that's, that's the first step, right? Not just walking into like a spa and say, oh, this is my day. I have, and the MSW program has helped me and I'm pretty sure that you can relate. Like they taught us in school to kind of develop that quote unquote third eye and that, which is how we're able to assess our patients and our clients, right? And when you're sitting down with someone and you're listening, you're able to assess and kind of help them and support them with the best um, interventions uh, possible. So, so now, guess what? I'm able to do that on myself. So I sit myself down as if I, I am my own client. I identify what's happening in my life right now. And I assess the situation. I say I identify who is toxic, what 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 is toxic, what, what you know, my eating habits, my drinking habits, and then when I pinpoint all of those things, then I protect my mental health accordingly by dealing with those things. Some 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 people I needed to chop off cold turkey. Others I just needed to not completely chop off, but just kind of fall back a little bit um and in terms of just my overall mental health you know just making sure I, I continue to exercise and, and 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 get my word from God and, and pray um and try my best to speak to my family as much as possible okay that's that's dope you know what I'm saying? yeah lastly <laughs> what is one piece of advice that you can give to the audience out there any words of encouragement, spoken words, or even like a little, you know, a little singing, you feel me? Oh! <laughs> I had to throw that in there. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm. I don't know why I just imagine you like laughing just now. <laughs> so my encouragement to anybody listening is to take advantage of this 
cause. Uh, we're a lot of people are so focused on escaping the pause. Like I got to get out of here. I got to travel. I got to get the vaccine. I want I want normalcy. I want normalcy. I want normalcy. That's fine. We all want that social life back, but take advantage of the pause because I feel like people are running away from themselves because we're forced to be by ourselves and to be at home all day. You're forced to spend time with your family because everybody's home. Instead of running from that, take advantage of it. Learn who you are. Learn who your family is. Learn, learn a new habit, learn a whatever. I just think that not enough of us are taking advantage. If I could find an example, if I could find an example, I would say, you know, if I, if, if, if I was told, you know, hey, um, I, I need you to, I need you to look after my, my fitness center because I'm going away for a week and I just need you to kind of manage it. For that week, Take advantage and work your butt off. And like, you know, you got free gym equipment. Like, I just think that don't just sit there. Like, everybody needs to take advantage of their environment and not, you know, turn it into like a personal asylum. Oh, I'm going crazy. I'm going crazy. You know, this is the perfect opportunity for you to learn more about yourself and to make improvements. And instead, so many people are trying their fastest to run out. I'm like, you know, and it almost, it's almost very telling to see who can tolerate themselves and who loves themselves. Because why are you running? Like, why are you trying to run? It's like, you know what I'm saying? Why are, you, why are you trying to escape? You know what I'm saying? And I'm not even speaking to boredom. Like, of course, we're all bored. We're all human. And we all want to, to get the hell out of the house. I'm not talking about just the regular human feelings of wanting air and oxygen. I'm talking about the people who are just, tired of being with themselves, you know what I'm saying? Or, or being with their loved ones. Like, I just think it's a, a, a great opportunity. I don't want us to miss it. When the out, when they say it, the outside open up, mm-hmm. <laughs> when the outside opens <laughs> up, yes, be ready to run, but take advantage of your moment right here, right now and learn some stuff. That's all I'm saying. I know you can't hear it, but I'm snapping my fingers right now. <laughs> For real though. Oh my god! <laughs> if someone wants to get in contact with you, what is the best way for them to do so? Definitely my Instagram. I have two Instagrams. Um, I have my music one, and then I have my my social work page. So my Instagram is Maya Mayo Bass, um, like the guitar, and uh, my. Uh, social work handle is Black Excellence underscore LMSW. <laughs> Get yep. them letters. That's a Get fact. Them <laughs> oh, man. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review. Remember, you can connect and follow us on our social media pages to stay informed. Links will be provided in the episode notes. Thank you for tuning in. Remember this. This is the only podcast that speaks facts.